0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co host and good friend, David Segal,
1: an entrepreneur and a multi clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. All right Jake it's it's Tox Talk time again. We're here. Yes. We're, we're t- Chapter two of the Tox Talks, Talks.
0: And um, this is one I've been looking forward to for a long time, n- not just from a podcast perspective, but as an injective perspective. It's, a, it's an interesting new product called Allusionz.
1: I think I've said that right. I keep inventing words that are very difficult for people to pronounce.
0: Yeah, very <laughs> non-natural words. Yeah. Um, and we're joined by our guest expert today, Dr. Christoph Marchain And Christoph, you, you're living in Stockholm, but you're from
2: Austria. Is that correct? I'm Austrian. I used to live in Stockholm, and I've just relocated to Lisbon.
1: Oh wow! Lisbon in okay. Portugal. No. Yes.
2: Oh, you're in Portugal.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm well... in
2: Portugal right now. Three hundred fifty days of sunshine. Very wow. nice.
1: What was the reason for the move, other than great chicken and weather? <laughs>
2: <laughs> they do great chicken in Portugal. Twenty fifty days of sunshine was reason enough to, for me to move.
1: Right, <laughs> not the berry berry chicken, not peri peri chicken. And is this a, <laughs> a, is this a permanent? This is a permanent move, or this is just a, a holiday house for the summer, or what, what's?
2: No, it's actually an apartment for the next years to come. Who right. knows what what comes after? But for now, that's home.
1: Right, and oh, do, you, do you speak Portuguese, or does everyone speak English no. there?
2: I can order chicken. Uh, well, that's, that's important as far as, I, <laughs> <laughs> as far as I get my Portuguese. Um, it's interesting because Portugal tr- is turning into the Florida of Europe. So a lot of people from Scandinavia and UK uh, retire in a city outside Lisbon called Cascais. So it's actually through my Swedish patients that I learned about this um, place, and um, yeah, enjoyed very much here.
1: So like Miami. So it's basically full of retired Jewish people and insanely huge <laughs> fake boobs is that
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> well it's a european version it's a bit more decent right but yeah it's a, yeah. Lot, of, okay. it's no, a Disneyland. lot of people yeah. who retire and enjoy the sun here that's true I oh think. that's
0: great so so how long have you been there you said you've literally just moved into your apartment so how long have you been back in lisbon
2: uh, i moved end of year but as i'm mostly traveling i haven't had much time to unpack and get myself installed. Uh, so I'm also still, uh, you know, figuring out things. Uh, authorities here work quite differently from, from Sweden, and, but it's a lovely country and the people are super nice and friendly. So I'm very happy to be here.
0: Yeah. And, and fill us in on what you were doing prior to moving. You, you lived in Stockholm and when did you move to Stockholm and why all the moves? Yeah.
2: Why all the moves? So um, I love Austria, but at some point we had more doctors than we needed. So Austria became the number one exporter of, of, of doctors to the rest of Europe. And uh, I always want to become a dermatologist. So I had a choice between waiting a couple of years for residence in Austria or trying luck somewhere else. And Sweden has a great reputation for uh, medical training and it certainly lives up to it. Uh, it is a highly modern healthcare system with mentorship programs and a super well-structured uh, medical education. Um, and I very much enjoyed working there. And very early on in my dermatological career, I figured that there was a glass roof in public health care. For example, with acne, you would treat the acne, but not the scars. So with the rosacea, you would treat the bumps, but you wouldn't treat the tilling ectasia. And I've always seen thing, uh, skin as something that connects us with the world, literally. And particularly uh, psychosocial aspects of uh, you know being judged by the way your skin looks and so on. Very early on, brought me onto that path of adding on. Uh, aesthetic treatments, or so-called aesthetic uh, dermatological treatments, to dermatology. Whereas I personally believe that aesthetic medicine is uh, is basically an extension, uh, helping us to improve the quality of life. So this is why I very early on came uh, in contact with this, and then um, the last five years I was the medical director for the dermatology branch of academic Clinic, which is the largest provider of aesthetic medicine in Scandinavia. Right, fantastic. Well, well until we... until my recent move, yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, we
0: we've had uh, a Swedish doctor Do you know Dr. Iman Nerlin? She's a good friend of ours. She's an Alleghan trainer, but she's actually just moved to London, so maybe you missed each other.
2: <laughs> yeah, is she is she from Orebro? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's 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 lovely and very very talented. I've had the pleasure of working next to her at the congress two or three years ago. She's she's really. Um, very highly regarded colleague of mine. She's,
0: she's excellent. Now, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your association with Galderma? And it's probably important for us to say that, you know, you're not representing Galderma. This isn't sort of, you know, Galderma's, uh, you know, it's not like a sponsored podcast as such. This is just your own personal opinions having been exposed to this new product. So, you know, what, what was your association as a key opinion leader and your role with them?
2: Yeah, as you say, so I do in no way represent the company. It's everything I say is based on my personal opinion and experience with the product. Um, you know, being, uh, being work, uh, working in Sweden, I've, I've, I've certainly worked with different uh, brands for fillers and neuromodulators through the years. Uh, personally, I enjoy working with the Reston range because of the width of cheap of, of Prime, the range of cheap Prime that it can use. And um, I kept on using a different neuromodulator for many, many years, but then eventually switched to Azulu as- 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 uh, and enjoyed it very much. And then, uh, l- end of last year, when Alusions was brought to the market, I uh, had an opportunity to work with this product as well. And um, despite both having ABO Botulinum uh, toxin type A as the active ingredient, uh, they behave quite differently due to their different bases. And I think this already brings us into, where's the difference between azulu and Aleucians? Because Aleucians is in no way a pre-diluted version of azulu, apart from the active ingredients, they share nothing in common. So uh, Aleucians is a newly developed product in a liquid base, And this uh, comes through very clearly in the clinical trials that led to, or trials that led to its registration in Europe, uh, the faster onset, the longer duration. So it has some distinct um, uh, characteristics that makes it a uh, new product in its own way.
0: If I could just do a bit of translating, because there'll be some listeners who wonder what is Azalur. So Azalur is the, <laughs> I guess, branded name of the European version of Disport. Yeah, it's a bit like Vistabel and Botox, yes. or Xiomin yes. and um, Xiomin and Bokotur. Bokotur, exactly. I can't remember the name, but effectively we're talking about Disport, and maybe we'll we'll refer back to it as Disport just so we don't get confused, because there'll be some listeners who don't know what Azalur is.
2: Well, the disport is the powder version of of the Avabotulinum toxin. So, uh, yes, the European authorities a couple of years ago demanded that the aesthetic version of the product it comes in smaller vials uh, for um, one vial on patient policy. Oh uh, yeah, we, we, were, we were just
0: talking about that. So we'll, we'll come on to allusions and and how that comes. But why do they prepare 125 units, 300 units, and 500 units of uh, disport? I mean. I mean, I don't know. I mean, David works in a clinic that's extremely busy. He he owns, you know, multiple clinics. And it always makes sense to buy the biggest bottle. Not always, but generally because of a high volume of patients. And, you know, Mm. we're going to come on to the benefits of illusions, But if you're making up tiny, tiny little bottles for each patient and you've got 20 patients a day, that becomes a bit of a a pain, to be completely honest. Mm. But, yeah, why, why do they make different sizes of disport. Do you know the answer to that?
2: Uh, you would have to ask Ibsen why these. So the, uh, the reason in Europe why they make the smaller ones is because of the authorities' demand. So because they say you no, know, uh, you have an on-label indication for product uh, mm-hmm. with a certain number of units. So why would you make a vial that's ten times as many units? So it is. It's, it comes from the authorities, I would say. Interesting. Um, because as you say, if if I could choose, I would have like a drop bottle of, <laughs> full of it and then just. <laughs> yeah right. I, yeah, I agree. Withdraw as much as I need, but but reality is that for clinical indication for hyperhidrosis, uh, you have a maximum dosage of seven eight hundred spaywood units. So it makes sense having a larger. Uh, a large um, vial if you do armpits, hands, feet, uh, and everything, and, and those indications, or for other clinical indications like spasms, and so you need much larger doses, so hit a larger vials make sense. But for cosmetic indications on label, um, authorities demand that 125 split so unit vials. Yeah, okay, that and makes the sense. Price is, there's, no, there's no distinct price advantage in Europe anyway, so it's, uh, it's pretty much you pay for what's in the vial. Yeah. Well, we get all the different
1: um, preparation sizes here in Australia. Um, And it does sometimes cause some issues within a clinic. If you've got multiple injectors using various products, sometimes they will look at the bottle and they think it's a 500 when it's a 300 and the dilution's different. (laughs) Sometimes I think the reps have used the 125 unit bottles when they're coming out to do uh, in-clinic training where they're using lower volumes. So I know that that's a lot of what it's used for, the smaller ones here, but it, sometimes it can cause confusion um, when injectors go on autopilot and just pick up a bottle and assume it's got X number of units in it and it doesn't, and then and then you inject patients with it, and then you've always got the uh, issue of people coming back, potentially not getting the results they want, <laughs> so... It can it can it can cause issues if you're not, yeah, you're not sort of I mean, paying attention
0: if you reflect this back <laughs> to hospital medicine these should be never events where you just assume or you know you you sort of pick up something and you don't know what it is and you just inject it into a patient I mean that should never happen but trust me we have seen that in examples. certainly
2: logistical logistical issues so yeah. in, in hospital you would write the dilution the yeah. date and who diluted it and keep it close. Uh, I mean, we have fridge in every treatment room, so we'll keep it yeah. there. Uh, but of course, if you have a common preparation room, that that could be an issue. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: and I guess, you know, like you said, Christoph, these uh, little vials of 125, if we're talking about allusians, that is supposed to be for a single patient. You're not really <laughs> supposed to be sort of using some on Sally and some on John. Yeah. But I think in reality, it doesn't make commercial sense to throw away half a bottle um because
2: it doesn't of- make and, and I think thirty years back we've been we you know we've been splitting vials. It's very different from splitting syringes with filler, which I've never done and never would do. yes, uh, without further going into this discussion. but for vials, you know you use a fresh uh, syringe every time, so there's no contamination risk if you work properly, so it makes sense as say not to throw away. And also, if you threw it away, you'd have first have to inactivate it and then throw it away. So it's nothing we, we actually do whatever did in clinic. Uh, but then, of course, you have the regulatory side of things, what authorities demand of a product register. So then you have the reality, uh, how things are done in clinic. And it's not always exactly the same. Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so you started to talk about the differences between the product in terms of onset and how long or the longevity of results. Can we maybe just go through those a little bit? I think that's probably the question that's on everyone's mind is what what is the difference other than the slightly slight variation on the name, which makes things confusing because I'm sure we're probably going to rename it something else here in Australia. So there's going to be four <laughs> different products with four different names, two products with four different names. But um, if you could just maybe just run through the differences and I'm sure that'll lead to some other questions that we might have that come up. Well, I'm curious to know. Absolutely. I mean, and maybe we should have started with
0: this. Why did... Why did Galderma think that this was needed for the market? I mean, I think yeah, I you understand
2: have it. To ask them. <laughs> well, <laughs> what's your sort of?
0: I guess you know, having used it yourself, the practicalities of having a liquid toxin seem pretty obvious. You know, you walk into your clinic, and immediately it's made and you just take out Actually, what you need it's more than
2: that it's more, it's more than that so when i first was exposed to the idea of a liquid neuromodulator modulator, just as you just said why why would i need that I said, you know listen guys there is a lot i want from the filler side for the future like even more <laughs> even more cheap prime, even more, you know. But with NeurModell, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy the way it was the last uh, 25, 30 years. I didn't see any actual need for improvement. Um, but where the, the industry is heading is, and Kaderma is first with a with a liquid neuromodulator, but the competitors are certainly working on their versions as well, is that I think in five or ten years from now, we will have a portfolio of neuromodulators with distinct properties, just as we have portfolios of fillers nowadays. I think this is where we're heading, because Azalone disport will in no way be discontinued, so they will still be around for for probably uh, indefinitely. Uh, There will just be different options available. And the the main advantage with Or Some of the main advantages would be with the liquid new model, with the loose sensor, it's free from human serum albumin and animal excipients. So this is something that I can already see in patients, especially the younger ones, is highly appreciated. Uh, The awareness of those excipients were in the powder or are in the powder versions is actually not that common in patients. So they do not actually commonly ask us what more is in the vial than 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 the botulinum toxin. But, uh, but it, this is something that they appreciate. So it, it's now solely based on plant and synthesized excipients. That's one advantage. The next one is then when you look at the clinical trials, it's a fast onset. It's 24%, so almost one in four patients who has an onset of action within 24 hours. That's really fast. And also the duration. Again, it's around 24% of the patients that have at least the one great improvement in glabella wrinkles after six months. Uh, so that is quite impressive, I would say.
0: Yeah, that is impressive. It's amazing. I guess it's a a nice thing to go away and have a, a, a at least a start of a result within a day. But I've never had a patient sort of complain that their onset of action wasn't within 24 hours or 48 hours. I think that the market is sort of understands that the peak effect is normally mm-hmm. around two weeks for all of our products. So. Do you say that as an advantage or not, practically? I would
2: say, so that's a good question too. So when I worked with another neuromodulator years ago and switched to Azalur, which already has an onset between two to three days on average, uh, my patients actually commented on the faster onset. So as you say, they would never complain having to wait for a week, five to seven days for the onset. But once they experience this faster onset, they actually told me that I had gotten better injecting it. Yeah. Uh, when in fact it was due to the product characteristics. And even with the with the even faster onset now with the Lucians, it's nothing you can promise because it's individual, again, it's a 25, 24, 25 percent uh, of the patients treated. But we live in a time where people do not plan as much. So I have really patients coming in or calling on a a Thursday morning. Hey, I forgot I have an event on Saturday, Sunday, and I need to, to have my face done. So, I mean, there are chances that it will work by then. So I think it's certainly an extra Uh, But as you say, waiting longer has never been a problem. But now that you have the option, people appreciate it.
0: Yeah. I have to say that that's a good point. I did even have a patient yesterday say, "Ah, I've got a party on Saturday. Can I see you on Tuesday? And I said, well, sure, you can. You just won't have the full effect by Saturday. So I guess, you know, if you can add an extra few percentage satisfaction points, why not, I guess?
1: Well, I guess people before emails were invented, thought it was absolutely fine to just write a letter and put it in the in the post. But then you got emails and people would never go back to that now. So it's like people used to be happy with TV exactly. then Netflix came along. You well, know? It, it, it is interesting because
0: I know that another company are developing a botulinum toxin E, which supposedly will have its full effect within 24 hours, but it will wear off within two weeks, which again is a completely different, sort of different dynamic and different argument, but I sort of joked with colleagues when I heard about it, and I said, you know, the the kind of interesting thing about standard botulinum toxins that we're used to is that you get this slow onset of action. And if you have a complication, like, God forbid, atosis, mm-hmm. it sort of comes gradually, and it almost gives them mental processing time to to, to understand what's happening. And, you know, you, you might talk about it, in its early phase, and you give a little bit of information, and you might give an early treatment. But if their eye drop, you know, within an hour of going home, I think the effect of that side effect is more is, is amplified. <laughs> more, <laughs> dramatic, yeah, more dramatic. It is, yeah.
2: Now, speak, speak, yeah. Speaking of side effects, so in the clinical trials, they did not see any new side effects uh, in the liquid formula. And the frequency of the headache, the bruises, and then everything else was in line with the traditional powder formulations. Mm. But it is interesting because, as we mentioned, there will be in the future portfolio of neuromodulators, uh, depending on what the patient needs. For for something that lasts for two weeks, the question is will the patient be willing to pay just as much as for something that lasts for six months? Or is it for those who are uncertain if 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 Botox is for them uh, or botulinum toxin is for them just to try it out uh, because I mean our time will not get cheaper so I think it's a, a question where to bring it into your business model but um, I'm pretty sure that we will be at that point where we have a choice of neuromodulators with quite distinct properties in a few years from now. Yeah
0: I agree I mean I think that we're going off topic now but the botulinum toxin E would be great for teaching you know ing- learner injectors because you know they may not get it perfect, but the result is only there for two weeks, and then you know once mm-hmm. they understand dosing and the anatomy, then they can progress to you know maybe something like Illusions, where they might get six months out yeah. of it. So it's, it's interesting, like a flight,
2: sim- like a flight simulator. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so going back to Illusion, it, it's, it's interesting. How does it how does it come? So it comes in a box. Uh, I'm assuming each country is the same now with 125 units. Already so it comes, pre-prepared.
2: In Europe, it comes in, in in a box with two vials, and in each vial there's 125 Spaywood units. Uh, so the vials are overfilled. Um, mm-hmm. So the official label is zero sixty-three. That's the recommended dilution, also for the Azulur. Uh, But they're they're overfilled.
0: Right, and I'm just working so you, out. You, so that's the same. I know these units are different, but it's roughly the same as 50 units of Botox comes in each. Um, vial. It's a roughly a two and a half. It, it, would
2: percent be, ratio. Uh, it would be. It would be. I mean, that, that that's an ongoing discussion how to convert, but it would be as a vial of of uh, Vistabel. Yeah. So it looks like which it's, is 50, 50 Botox units. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so practicalities. When you've had this new product in your clinic, mm-hmm. it's already made up. So how, how has it improved your you know your 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 efficiency? How you run your day or or how you approach your consultations?
2: That's an interesting question. So initially we were approached by, by the company telling us that we're saving X uh, amount of time uh, and, and can either squeeze more in more patients and do other things. But very early on, I figured I would not shorten uh, my patients' visits because as you know, our patients um, um, want to spend a certain time with the doctor. What I now do instead of spending time focusing on the preparation of the product i can spend these extra moments focusing on my patients which they appreciate because every eye contact in the end matters during a visit even if it's just five or ten minutes that's one thing the second thing is i mean contamination has not been an issue to be honest with with neuromodulators but Again, it, it decreases steps where you potentially could make a mistake. So that is something that I think uh, accounts for something. And last but not least, uh, it is very uh, precise. I mean, you have this, the pre-diluted product contains exactly the same amount of active substance in every drop in every vial. Whereas you know, if you dilute with saline, sometimes you get a little extra, sometimes you lose a drop. Again, I don't know how much it really mattered in the long run in the past 30 years, but it is, you know, just getting a bit closer to how it should be. And um, also we have different. Uh, I was responsible for a for, uh, large number of injectors and everybody, as you say, is, is doing a bit differently. So it helps standardizing the process. So precision and um, safety for me was certainly um, a bit of a step forward there also.
0: Mm, I right. have to say, I mean, D- David and I years ago, maybe we've never spoken about this on the podcast. Right. We, we did a bit of an experiment where a colleague of David's came in. He's a, he's sort of got a very engineering sort of brain. Oh yeah, and we wanted to work out a more efficient way of making Botox or or disport in his clinic because, just as you said, if you're wasting even if it's naught point five. Uh, mills each time because of an air bubble or drops out onto the uh, the desk that's cash that's cash that you're losing um or you're slightly under or overdosing that particular part of the face by by not being completely accurate and i can't remember the sums but we worked it out based on how many vials are made a day and a week and a year and it was not insignificant
1: no it was a lot of cash it all adds up yeah absolutely um you know just removing the element of, of human error
0: yeah so, so to know that you have an exact amount in your elusian bottle, you know, potentially could save a clinic money. Let alone, uh, you know, the, all these sort Time. of rare circumstances of miscalculations and stuff. Yeah. What, what is the liquid? Because you know, we traditionally make up our, our, our um, azalore or disport with normal saline. That that's the on label um, sort of way of doing it. Do, do you know? Is it normal saline or is it different?
2: No, uh, what's in the vial? So it's it's polysorbate 80 as the stabilizer, and that's also used for for infusion um, drugs since many decades ago. So it's it's basically creating. Um, um, I don't know if it's if it's literally a micellar solution, but usually the polysorbates are creating micellar sol- solutions because the challenge in creating an, a liquid neuromodulator, and this is why it took so many years of development, is you have to make sure that in this liquid, from the top to the bottom of the liquid, there's exactly the same concentration of neuromodulator, and it has to be stable during transport and storage within a certain temperature range. It must not adhere to the glass or the rubber. It must not alter its 3D protein structure. So it's quite challenging. Mm. Uh, so they figured that polysorbate is was an efficient stabilizer. And it eliminated the need for um, human serum albumin and lactose and and other excipients. And then there is also hypochloric acid for the pH. And then you have an amino acid buffer and uh, sodium chloride for the osmolarity and then water. So it's a pretty straightforward formula. Uh, It lasts for one year uh, in the refrigerator. Right now, they're they're trying to figure out uh, for how long at room temperature so 24 hours is already official. So in the morning, I, I would take them out uh, of the fridge and um, they keep their stability for 20 hours and probably, probably longer than that. Because ideally, uh, in one of the future updates or future generations, you would want something that is stable at room temperature entirely because that would eliminate the need for um, cooling them during transport, reducing the carbon footprint, and I think that's also something where the uh, industry in general is heading, becoming more sustainable. Yeah, You may argue whether the aesthetic medicine is a major contributor to global changes. But I think at this point, every aspect of, of life needs to question where they can be more sustainable. And what I do see with the loose sense is that at the end of the day, the amount of plastic waste is greatly reduced. So mm. my bins are not as full because I do not need these extra vials of sodium chloride, which have to be manufactured, transported and disposed of. I do not need all these extra syringes and needles. So it it does really cut down on the um, additional products that you need to prepare it. So this is something I noticed early on is the reduction of waste
0: yeah that's a good point actually and you know again david's the one who owns the clinic buying you know boxes of saline and three mil syringes and needles and all that stuff it's it's not it's not a a write-off cost it's expensive
1: yeah because you also have to pay for all those things to be removed you know it's uh it's clinical waste yeah yeah yeah, absolutely. It's not
2: just buying them; it's also having Disposing. them removed. I don't know about Australia, but but in Europe, they they, they we have the have clinical waste in so these thick yep. black um, uh, waste boxes, and they charge us by volume or by weight. So the more you dispose of, the more you pay.
1: Yeah, and also with the sharps too, your sharps bin and, and so on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what did the, what did the trials show? I mean, obviously, it's a new product; it's gone through rigorous testing and trials. So what did it, it sort of? yield in terms of efficacy, longevity, sort of
2: side effects, anything like that? So as <coughs> mentioned, the onset uh, really stood out, the early onset, the long duration. So it's the only one in Europe with a six-month duration on label. Um, the responder rate was uh, was comparable to traditional powder formulations. Uh, what else they looked at was, a, it was the psychological well-being. Uh, I did not know. Uh, but I learned it recently that back in the 90s when your modulators uh, were registered for aesthetic use the authorities would not accept wrinkles as an indication <laughs> so actually they they said the uh, wrinkles um, offer severity that causes um, re- re- reduce psychological webbing or that causes psychological burden to the patient this is how the authorities accepted it and there were there were there were trials done in the past, but ne- never um, never did they produce data of such a quality that that companies could put it on label. So here, Luciens actually looked at this with phase Q studies throughout the registration trials, and the data uh, were strong enough. So it's also the only neuromodulator in Europe with uh, improved psychological well-being on label, which I think is uh, a fun fact because we all know that what we do aims at increasing our patient's quality of life. And we all know that people who start uh, neuromodulators are very happy with it, but now it's also shown and proven and the curve is uh, quite consistent with the duration of the action. So it's it's clearly related to the, to the effect.
1: That's an interesting point. I, I do wonder if some people actually enjoy their sort of quarterly visit to their doctor or their nurse. It's sometimes it's a bit of a, an event, they have a relationship there. So I do wonder whether they'll miss being able to come and see you every three months if they're not seeing, because it is, I mean, you build relationships with these people, right? They become almost like, you know, I wouldn't say you don't want to become friends with your patients, but there's definitely some sort of relationship there. Mm. Um, I have to
0: say it, you know, once we have a portfolio of toxins, of course, everything will change, but, it is nice to touch base with your patient, you know, relatively frequently because you're not just doing their toxin, yeah. you're doing fillers and you might stage your fillers into upper face, yeah. lower face or, you know, whatever. So to see your patient less is a potential yeah, it's not it's not an issue, but you'd have to build it into their sort of treatment planning slightly differently, I guess.
1: Yes. Not saying it's a negative, just ex- just exploring the uh, the effects, good and bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take it as a negative, just, uh, just thinking to- it through. I'm
2: totally with you there because that was one of my thoughts too. Why would I want something that lasts longer so I see my <laughs> patients less frequently? But in the end, they will come for something else. You know, yeah. one, if they don't have to come for the neuromodulator every three months, they may come for something else, like like maybe that, the chin augmentation they always wanted or the jawline. So it's not that they're not coming; they they just may come for something else. Yeah. Um, so that's my experience
1: so far. Yeah. And and how do you sort of feel about the the potential of a, a six month long tosis?
2: I, I was very fortunate, I have to say. I have had three cases. Three known cases of tosses in fifteen years. That's good. Uh, which I think I'm p- just pretty lucky because that's that's below um, uh, that's below frequency in clinical trials, um, and none of them was severe. Of course, it's not a plateau effect, as we all know. Yep. I mean, you have a, it, the effect peaks and then it fades. Um, but so far, I've not had um, any any case of tosis with the loose and also. Uh, there was no increased frequency in the clinical trials. So There's nothing I worry about, to be honest. Sure, nothing
0: fair enough. That. Going mm. back to the, this liquid that the Alluvience is, you know, pre-prepared mm. in. One of the you know common things that we, we've discussed on the podcast before is the comfort of the injection and yeah. normal saline. Let's be honest, it stings like. A bitch. Yeah. Whereas preserved saline mm. um, doesn't. Yeah. You know, it's it, it's nice and much more comfortable. How, how does this new preparation rate? Would you say?
2: Oh, that is that is super interesting because when we first looked at the data from the clinical trials, the patients who go into a trial, registration trial, have to be um, treatment naive. So the, there is no bias towards the placebo group. Uh, so there was no. Um, feedback from those patients that they experienced an increased discomfort. Yeah. But post-market, you could see that those countries in Europe that use the preserved saline, and it's not available in Sweden, but Germany and France use it a lot, uh, that those patients, re- re- they, they recognize the distinct difference in the treatment experience. And I tried it myself, and I have to say there is a, a transient burning sensation but it's really for the moment you know the the product enters the tissue it's nothing but it's a difference to the preserved one i would say the difference to the non-preserved one is not as obvious Mm -hmm. uh so i think it really depends uh it really depends on what your previous experience is yeah that's interesting well well, well,
0: i mean this is just a personal question what what do you prefer if you're not using illusions if you're using Disport. What what saline do you think is you know most comfortable? I
2: only had I've always only had access to the non-preserved one in Sweden. Right. So my patients are are not used to preserved saline. So it was for me the switch was easy. It was not a major change. Uh, but I know from from colleagues who worked with preserved saline that they got a the feedback from the patient that it was uh, certainly a different experience. Okay. Um, so. To, to answer this, there will be no way around it uh, to my, uh, as far as I can see. Uh, it really depends on then communicating with your patients what they want. If they want something that's, again, free from human, that animal excipients, something that may act faster, may act longer, uh, I think that's what they have to buy into, a, a transient burning sensation. And not every patient feels it. I uh, uh, just got back from, from a road show in Germany. And you would say one feels it, the next one doesn't. Uh, But if a patient says, okay, treatment comfort is my top priority, then you would offer this patient a traditional powder neuromodulator with the preserved saline. So, again, it's good to have the options here. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point.
1: Yeah. I know that um, a lot of injectors sometimes Mm -hmm. like to play around with their dilution. They might want to hyper-dilute or Mm -hmm. hyper-concentrate. Obviously, having this already pre-prepared with its own you know, uh, already diluted. What happens if you want to change that? Do you want, is it possible to add sort of saline to it? Does that have any issues? And then how do you sort of get around the opposite when you may want to, you know, have an area where you're using less, mm-hmm. less, you know, oh, sorry, less liquid and a high, higher concentration of the active product.
2: Yeah. And that's also a very interesting topic. And I, I, I'm not, able to give you a definite answer to it i just remember when i started working with neuromodulators i had different vials i had a forehead vial i had a glabella vial I had a hypnosis <laughs> vial so, but but then i spoke to i spoke actually to um uh, people who are developing neuromodulators and they they told me that you know it doesn't really matter uh up to a certain um change in volume. Volume is not a major contributing factor. It's always the concentration. Uh, and you can see this proven in the uh, Azalo, uh alternative dilution. In Europe, we have two dilutions registered for Aleutian, the 063 ml and the 1.25 ml. Hmm. And what you can see, that the clinic efficacy with both dilutions is almost identical. So there's no uh, statistically significant difference, which shows you that just Doubling dilution in these small quantities does not affect the clinical outcome. Of course, if you would ten double the dilution, you would make a difference. But uh, but it's really the concentration, the amount of units that you use. So I've totally stopped having different uh, dilutions for different areas, and I know that many colleagues have gone the same uh, way. So I have that- to
0: say, um, you know, I've used uh, Azalur years ago when I was still in the UK, and if you tried to hyper concentrate even less than 0.63 mils, it gets to a point where you, you can't even see <laughs> the the you it's know the graduation. To the it's the too range, small. Yeah. It's too small. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I don't think that would be a problem. Exactly. But who knows whether you can add saline to this new liquid because that would technically be off label. And then you know you would not have, have the support tried. from the yeah, but...
2: Time will tell, time will tell. I'm sure some colleagues will try and then we'll know. Uh, <laughs> but as far as, again, if, if you feel the need, uh, then again, keep keep the Disport and add on the Illusions to your portfolio. Again, I think not one product will yeah. feed every patient anyway. So it, it makes sense having different options here.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. If you want to do that, just have the old style yeah. Disport. Yeah. And then You're- you can do what you like with it.
1: You have all the tools in the cupboard that you want.
0: Yeah. Um, it's interesting what you said about um volume or concentration not affecting the outcome. I agree. I think we had Neve Corda on yeah. on our first chapter and and she was talking about the mertz products and and she said really the key factor is delivering the amount of units to that muscle belly or or, or that um motor end plate. So it it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. volume it's in, but of course, if you use very big volumes, then your risk of complications goes up because you know, it just spills out of the muscle, it's more painful because of the pressure of the liquid. And of course, if it's in a bigger volume, then you're you're not going to get all of those units to where you want it. It will it will spread. So I like the idea of, you know, using the, the, the on-label uh, concentration of 0.63 mils.
2: I totally agree to that. So again, if you, we've seen this, so if you just double the volume, it doesn't affect it, but if you... Multiplied, I think, then you get to the point where you just get a washout effect. Uh, so that certainly makes sense. Yeah.
0: Um, does it cost the same? I mean, well, you know, when I, 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 <laughs> always with new products, these things tend to, to be expensive, and then you know they sort of see where it lands. But I mean, is there a significant difference between the, the you know Azalor and Illusions? I
2: think prices vary in every country, so I can only speak about uh, about about Sweden. Uh, So the price has increased, but given that the vial is overfilled, the price per unit is actually the same. So you get more units in in every vial because it's overfilled. Ah. So if you make use of every drop that's in the vial, the cost is the same.
0: Ah, so it says 125, but there's a little bit more.
2: It says zero point zero point sixty three mL of a dilution mm-hmm. that had, but but it's actually zero seventy five because that's mm. the first thing I tried to see how much is in there <laughs> actually. So I think. They overfill it because, by on label, you would um, extract it through the rubber stopper. Yes. Uh, which I personally am not a great fan of, and then there would always be a drop caught in this rubber part. So yeah. they overfill it to make sure you really get out what's on the on the label. But if you uh, if you do it my way or the way most of us do, you actually get out zero seventy five, which is twenty percent extras, so which which then evens out the difference in price in Sweden.
1: I like free stuff <laughs> it's good. <laughs> how do you um, talk to your patients about trying this product? I mean you, some, some patients get very specific about you know certain brands of toxins or or preparations. So what's that conversation like in terms of explaining to them how this works, you know getting them prepared for the fact that you know the results mm-hmm. may you know last up to six months as you know so there's a few changes there. so what does that what does that process mm-hmm. look like in terms of education and con- consulting?
2: So if I have a patient that's new to the clinic and they and we talk about neuromodulator if it's right for them, I say, well, we have two options here. Option A with this distinct profile and with option B. And then I'll basically see what, what's most appealing to them. Uh, because I do have both in my clinic. And if I have a patient who's seen me for many, many years, as you say, the question is, would you switch them? Um, I would just tell them if yeah, there's something new available, would you be interested in trying this? So do you want to stick with what you're used to? And some of them say never change a winning team. They're happy with every aspect of the additional one that I leave it there. And others said, yeah, you know, I, 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 always feel it lasts a bit shorter than I would like to, or this and that, let like, say, let's give the new one a chance. So I think that's, that's the way I do it. I don't push people. I just inform them about the options and then they make their choices.
0: Have you found any of the patients sort of a bit wary? You know, it's a new toxin and, you know, you can imagine the days when when Botox was first launched. <laughs> it must have been a difficult conversation to have. You know, I've got this new thing that effectively is the most lethal thing on the planet, but I'm going to inject it into your face. So there are some patients who are quite <laughs> nervous regardless of, you know, clinical trials. Have you had anyone like that?
2: Actually not in 15 years. Uh, it's interesting that when people think of a prescription drug for, for, for treating a condition. They're very worried about the adverse events and, and how well the trial is done, how long it's been on the market. As soon as it comes to aesthetic, at least in Northern Europe, people people's mindset is rather really on the cosmetic side of things. It's like more an extension of a facial to them, which always surprises me. Because, as you say, it's a highly potent biological substance that we're using. But in people's mind, if they treat wrinkles, it's a cosmetic procedure, so they do not actually think of adverse events or dangers. So some get really surprised when I bring it up during the consultation. Um, so I think there, there is still a gap between mindset and, and, and uh, reality. Mm. And how do you? Answer no. Answer, no. How,
1: do you, how do you charge for this product? I mean, is there like recommended retail or I'm assuming if your patients are not coming back for six
2: months, how do you, how do you, we yeah. charge, we charge exactly the same, uh, okay. because as I mentioned, the, the, the price for us per unit is the same. I do know, however, that clinics in Germany charge, uh, quite a premium for it because the one it's a new product. Plus, uh, their patients are really willing to pay extra for something that does not contain animal or human excipient so it's more like this uh, like it depends on the market but I think generally if you ever have a chance to ad- adjust your prices and now with the soaring inflation that you see yeah. I think all of us will have to do so at some point it's always easier with a new product so yeah because yeah. I would have I
1: mean I don't it know that I'm thinking sense. about it incorrectly but if you've got patients coming in let's say half as frequently mm. then you're potentially cutting mm-hmm. your revenue and I'm just thinking from a business perspective you're cutting your revenue in half <laughs> Basically, because those patients are coming in half as frequently as what they did. <laughs> so ha- have you sort of thought about uh, that?
2: I've thought about it. So I don't think you're <laughs> a danger at seeing your patients half as frequently because I see we had a five month up to five month duration we that with yes. us, so now we're up to six months and still twenty five percent of the patients. And as I mentioned, what we've seen is that they when I tell them it may last a bit longer. Uh, they immediately think, oh, where else could I spend the money on beauty? Because I think most patients' right. beauty wish-, wish list is quite long. It's not that they say, oh, great, uh, I saved 100, uh, $100 at your clinic, so I, I, I go somewhere else and spend the money. It's probably, okay, maybe we could do that IPL that we've been talking about, or maybe I could upgrade my skincare routine. I think the beauty wish list is long. It just enables them to, to you know, Yeah, that's actually a really good way. That's a good way of thinking about it. I hadn't thought about it like that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: 100%. I want to go back to um, the efficiency of of running your clinic. Um, I kind of did a few jokey posts on Instagram when we opened up again after the lockdown. (laughs) And making up my product became a real problem. Like it took me like, a good hour to make, you know, I was making a lot of, I I prefer Botox, I was making a lot of Botox, and, you know, I was going into the clinic, cracking open 15 vials, and, you know, obviously reconstituting, which, you know, that doesn't take too much time, but then drawing up, you know, 150 syringes of 10 units, like, it, it actually became a logistical problem where I'd have to go in early and, you know, really think about what I was doing. I mean, things have calmed down now, to be honest, but I'm mm. just curious to know, like, you know, do you feel kind of a little bit more, you know, you've got a bit more time on your hands or or is it not that we, much of we a game nev- changing Likely, product?
2: We never had a lockdown in Sweden. So uh, the Swedish government had a quite different strategy from the rest of the world. So we kept open. And what we did is an increase of demand during COVID because people had more money to spend and less other things to do so we'd actually see an increase in our clinics um the time factor to me was never relevant i Mm. have a certain amount of time with my patients um and if i save a minute or two on the dilution and the withdrawal i will just spend them by you know asking them more, more about you know how 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 they are, what else I could offer them. or So I, I wouldn't cut down on the time for the visit. That is an option if you have an exceptionally busy clinic. But I think I'd rather give them a more premium experience by, by having more time and eye contact with them during the visit there. Yeah. That's what I did. So, yeah. And what's your
1: technique for injecting this product? Is there any sort of nuanced changes? Is it sort of a like-for-like like, or maybe just talk
2: us through your injecting technique in general? So I I didn't change anything, not anything, not in any indication, uh, because the, the dosage is exactly the same. So they kept the, they kept the dosage, um, in the product. So there's not higher concentration of the apopotulinum. So it's really just easy to shift. Uh, that's GDM. There's also in Europe an optional syringe, which has both volumetric measures on the one side and then spayboard units on the other side, which is useful if you have different products or a lot of, of, of doctors in a clinic. It just shows you 10, 20, 45, 50, 50, 60, and so on. It's really easy. Um, I use the FMS needle mostly yep. because it's super thin. Um, yeah <laughs> same is that 30, 30 is it 33 gauge uh, 32, 32. It's, i think it's from korea it's yes from korea i think it's super thin uh and so i haven't I changed anything this was the ease of the products so i did not have to think of a new concentration um, a new uh dosage regimen it was just shifting over that yeah. was very easy
0: well, why do you think i don't know if it's just a, a storage issue but what would been a game changer it would have been if they delivered it in a syringe like why still make mm-hmm. the liquid in a vial instead of a pre-loaded syringe that would really
2: make it efficient that i totally agree so, and it would again be uh even more sustainable if you got a boxes of pre-filled syringes but then the, you know again you have the the legal part so every syringe would contain the amount of units you need for the on-label indication of that product to for Luciians uh, you would then have every syringe pre-filled with 50 staywood units yeah what if you want to go off label or what if you want to do a touch-up would you throw away the rest then I think uh, that mm. is some consideration that still needs to be figured out yeah and also um, A glass vial may be different than a plastic syringe when it comes to, you know, stability issues, product adhering to the wall. I I think there's so much more to think of, but the, the, the thought is absolutely intriguing. But then you would want different (laughs) <laughs> different, you know, volumes to the touch-up syringe, the forehead syringe, and yeah, then it's true. getting a bit complicated again.
0: Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. You, you'd have to deliver the syringes with an empty <laughs> vial, so you can use it as a little reservoir. And then... <laughs> you should. We, we need Jake in
1: charge of R&D. Yes. Yeah, to Ibsen. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> I think you should give Ibsen a call. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we
1: had... Uh, well, it wasn't Ibsen. We had uh,
0: Per Winloff here from Galderma. He's the yeah, chief yeah. design expert, so maybe i'll speak i'm going i'm coming to stockholm soon so maybe i'll see if i can catch up with per and i'll give oh, them my well i
2: see you at BTS then it's yes and we can discuss that further yeah fantastic <laughs> looking forward looking forward
0: so you know going back to technique i, I think we should just touch on it because it's it's the same uh, as, as galderma or, or disport users will already be aware of but that's a five point technique so you're doing Procerus oh, think, and yeah. two per corrugator
2: Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a standard technique. Yeah, that's on label. 10 spaywood units per 0.5 points.
0: And in your in your own practice, do you ever do an extra seventh? as uh, you know a sixth and a seventh on the tail of the corrugator, or that's not what you normally I, do. I
2: don't. I don't. Uh, I did in the very beginning. I would have this like uh, here a bit more, here a bit less. But if you look at the dose finding studies, the fifty spayed units just did it for most patients. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think back a few years, there was a interesting and and much quoted publication about different labella patterns. Yeah. But if you speak to anatomists, then they say it's not actually patterns of the muscle it's patterns of how the the fascia of the muscle inserts into the reticular dermis so the muscle still is in the same position in almost everyone so it makes sense keeping this um if i see a very short corrugator visually short i would opt for a three-point mm. alternative but i've never done a seven point because i feel that the 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 you know um, radius so the the field of action is is, is in the the five point is sufficient for most yeah. patients.
0: Well, what did you think of Sebastian Cotofana's paper where he he spoke about a three point you know globella for 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 all patients, not just some.
2: Uh, no, uh, but again, I think it's not for all patients. There's nothing that works for all patients because <laughs> I have those with that have a quite strong lateral corrugate, and if they're treated with three points, then the brow would come inwards like this yeah. all the time. So. I would say it's very interesting that publications keep on coming. uh, But as somebody who sees living patients every day, uh, just as you do, I think I would say there's no solution that fits everyone. But to me, it's either three points or five points. But that's it, basically. Fair enough.
0: And maybe you could Mm -hmm. just give us some insight into, you know, just how you approach your, your toxin patient consultation. I mean, what, what things are you looking for? What precautions, what patients do you find a bit tricky? You know, just a, just a general insight into how you go about, you know, doing your anti-wrinkle treatments.
2: So what we have, we have, by law we're not allowed to treat same day. So we have forty-eight hour oh, wow. uh, delay oh, wow. from the consultation. Yeah, that's
1: is, a, this, is this a Sweden rule or a Portugal Portugal it's a rule? It's a Swedish rule. Yeah, it's it's in. Can't oh, no of wonder you moved.
2: we that's we just moved. Yeah. So now laws in Europe are weird. In France, you're not allowed to inject a uh, filler and talks at the same session. Right. And in Sweden and Denmark and and I think now even in Norway you, there is a delay between the consultation process and the injection. However, you can still tattoo your forehead or cut your tongue into the same way That doesn't <laughs> matter to the politicians, part, but you know. right. uh, for, for your moderators there is a forty-eight hour waiting a time. Um, For consideration. Uh, Even if you've done the treatment 100 times, if if there's more than six months in between the treatments, you have to have a new consultation. May it make sense or not, that's how the legal situation is. So what I do, I spend 20 to 30 minutes with new patients uh, and look at their pictures. So I have pictures taken and I sit next to them and, and we look at their pictures together and I guide them through what I see by asking questions by if you wouldn't know the person on the screen, what's your first impression of him or her? What emotion does the face communicate for you? And then we go through the three-quarter and the profile view. And, and, and they ask, you know, uh, if you look at your nose and your chin, how would you describe it, the proportion to your lips? So I try to guide them through a standardized assessment that I do, but rather by telling them what I say, I try to hear it from them. And then I fill in by explaining the anatomy, the aging process, or a treatment option that could uh, help balance this. And in the end, patients love this because they learn so much. And patients that come to us have an interest in in beauty, have an interest in aesthetic treatment. So they really love this time, just uh, learning more. And when I started doing that, what I really saw is that more patients would do more treatments. Because it kind of builds a bridge between the symptoms they come with and the causes that we see. So it helps really communicate. And, and, and neuromodulator is just a part of that. So I do not do uh, like consultations. Uh, you come in and I tell you, you know, the the neur- neuromodulator. I really go through everything and then we pick what we need. Yeah,
0: that's fantastic. It's same, seems very similar to me, to be honest. But what photography yeah. system
2: do you use? Uh, very, a very simple one, so a room painted with matte uh, color, uh, it's not even black, it's like more graphite, uh, yeah. so like a very, very dark gray matte color, and the, it's a Canon camera with uh, 12 megapixels and a uh, Wi-Fi system, so it, it's, it, the picture is taken in a standard position, uh, and then it's transferred to the computer, so it's really simple. Brilliant.
1: Yeah. Do you have any tips for dealing with tricky patients or unusual anatomy or just avoiding complications in general? You said you've only had three in, was it 15 years? Did you say? <laughs>
2: Three patients that mentioned it, I and mean, then right. they mentioned it, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. About well, if you it. don't know about them, they I don't count. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, would think, I would think if, if they're happy, they, they, they let you know. Yes. So um, Yeah, so the, I think it's really much getting to know your patient. As you say, we all have distinct personalities, and some personalities match better, and some are more challenging. Uh, but I also feel that uh, by spending 20, 30 minutes with a new person, getting to know them and asking them a lot. I learned um, about, you know, their past experiences with aesthetic treatments, I learned where their ambitions are, where they draw the line, uh, where their fears are, and then I can adapt to that, I can respond to that. Very rarely it happens that I really feel, nah, we're not a match. But uh, then I always try to find a polite way out, but it's so rare, it's like one patient every second here. We feel, we're we, we not really, you know, we're not the right match personality-wise. or mm. the expectations and what it can deliver is absolutely uh, impossible to align. But it's so rare. It's really actually about getting to know each other.
1: Yeah.
0: I was going to actually ask, that, that cooling off period that was mandatory in mm. uh, Scandinavia, do you think that that has helped with some of those tricky patients where, you know, you're not gelling or the conversation's a bit difficult and then they can go away and think, do you know what? Uh, this isn't for me. Whereas, you know, here in Australia, you would just normally go ahead and do the treatment or many injectors would, if I can put it that way.
2: Not really, because I mean, for me, a difficult patient is somebody who insists on having a treatment, despite my advice, telling the person this treatment will not Give it a result. You're obviously asking for, and they keep insisting on it because mm. they've seen it on Instagram. It works. It works. It works. I <laughs> said, I can't make it work. Uh, usually, this very rare situation would not resolve because after 48 hours, they would still be convinced they've seen it on Instagram and it worked there, so it must work. Uh, so, um no. In that way, no. On the other hand, when it was introduced, my fear was: I do a proper consultation, I write down the treatment suggestion. They would just take it elsewhere uh, because it gives people forty-eight more hours to Google alternatives, <laughs> who's cheaper, who's you know, who's, <laughs> yeah. who's nicer, whatever. But 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 in the end, it, that, that's not true either. So most people actually schedule their treatment forty-eight hours later and then mm. also show up uh so it hasn't been an issue but it has caused a lot of frustration in recurring patients who've had great result from their filler uh for 12-15 months and then they have to have a new consultation tell me hey it's my body can't i make that decision and mm. you say sorry yeah legally you can't anymore um i don't yeah, know i kind of in some ways i quite like the idea
0: it 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 forces you to re-engage, go yeah. through the medical history, um, think about the planning, have time to do your photos, and I quite like it. I mean, it would be completely impractical because no one else <laughs> is doing that in Australia, but if it became law, I, I do wonder yeah. whether it, if it might make it a better uh, transaction, if you want to put it that way. Maybe. Yeah.
2: But I've always done it like that because I schedule for a new visit 20 minutes uh, and I usually spend the whole time, you know, just consulting, getting to know, giving options. I mean, I could do a a neuromodulate on the forehead or a glabella the same way, but if somebody wants like a jawline, Mm. I just don't have enough time. So I would reschedule them for the treatment anyway. So to that point, it hasn't been a change in in reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Slightly off topic, but it's something that's come up a lot in in recent discussions with, with various guests all around the world, um, particularly here in Australia and the United States, as patients requesting that very bold, exaggerated aesthetic. And I know that Europe, to a, a certain extent, is potentially a little bit more conservative mm-hmm. um, than the countries like here and the United States. But do you have much of that? Becoming an issue. I know you've moved to Portugal now, but I guess just talking about your European experience, you know, is that is that mm-hmm. an issue? And, and how do you deal with that? And what's your sort of stance, or you know, what are you what? I guess what I'm asking is, you know, how do you how do you manage those patients that want that extreme look? And what and what's the how far will you go in terms of yeah. you know a- appeasing patients that want that very extreme look and and walking out of your clinic with a result that maybe doesn't sit right with you and potentially advertising you know, your services and and the Mm. type of results you create?
2: So that's an interesting question. So I think for Scandinavia, that has not been a big issue, just like Scandinavian design is a bit like, you know, very clean. Uh, People like to have a more, uh, you know, I don't like the word natural because what is natural, but like a more um, not obviously treated look. Um, But there is the occasional view, and I think I've rather changed my mind about it, like five years ago, I would say I don't do big lips. But I say if if the lip fits the face, it may as well be bigger. We do see a globalization of the beauty ideal. Yeah. So when it comes to proportions of, of lips, for example, that one-to-one proportion that you would naturally see in African-American face, also in some parts of Asia, uh, has become quite desirable even in Caucasian faces. And I don't say generally no to it. But what I do do look at is does the lip fit the face? So do you have the profile? Do you have the three quarter that supports the lip? And here again, it comes in so handily doing this in a cons- in a conversation consultation with the patient, uh, like showing them their subnasal line, their ricketts line, and just asking them, okay, how how do you think that bringing your lip forward further would impact your profile look? Because people are not stupid, and they don't come to look less attractive there's just a gap in in you know knowledge and there is obviously a, a literally a view that they can't see uh, but if you do this i have not had the experience that a person would insist on in doing something that would just be terribly wrong um i can't i don't have this experience um but again i think it's also due to cultural Sure. Um, yeah, conditions in Canada.
0: Have you ever played with any three D cameras or even uh, simulation type software where you can, you know, change the face and show them these little tweaks or not really?
2: Not, not personally, because I it's a bit challenging. These morphing apps. Uh, if you if you show it on the app, you kind of give a promise it will look yeah like this, and then then we all know that t- tissue may behave a bit differently once you start injecting. Um, I've just seen a super cool 3D camera now in 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 Hamburg in a clinic and as a at a friend. It's a handheld health device. Uh, I don't remember the name. It was very very expensive. That's what I remember. But the, <laughs> the, the the pictures were stunning. It was really cool, especially jawline treatments. When you see how the how the double chin was reduced, and yep. she could really show this so beautifully. That was a very advanced system. Uh, other than that, I still stick to the traditional photo system. Because I would think if the patient can see it on a traditional picture, then it's good enough. Yeah. Um, if it gets too technical, if you have to have, you know, a 3D uh, augmented reality to even show a difference, which they can't <laughs> see in their faces, then they will still not be impressed.
0: Yeah, so, I, I agree. But I think
2: that's where we're heading, yeah. M- more advanced picture systems. Yeah.
0: yeah, if you have to show someone a, a 5% increase in the cheek volume to prove it to them, then I think there's a problem. They should be able to just look at two photos and say, yes, I can see the nice change and, yeah. you know, I don't need to know the percentage. You know, it's, it seems a bit silly, to be honest.
1: Yeah. it's um, <laughs> If you can't see the result in your eye, then something's wrong.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm assuming that you give similar aftercare for illusions, but can we just go through what your standard aftercare for uh, a toxin treatment would be? Everyone's got a slight different spin on things. What mm. what do you tell people?
2: Also, that has changed dramatically uh, through the years. So in the very beginning, I would say don't lead forward when you tie your laces. So people <laughs> would be in the most, the most <laughs> awkward position tying the laces or whatever. Uh, what I say is basically try to avoid the uh, massaging this area for a few hours. Don't go to sauna, which is common in Scandinavia. Mm. Uh, but I let them do sports. I let them do it because we do know that the the neuromodulator attaches within 45 minutes, uh, the majority of molecules bind to the receptor. So I do no longer tell people sleep on your back. Don't don't wash your face. Oh, this to me is a kind of not really <laughs> okay. um, relevant. I don't know what. how do you do it in your clinic.
0: Um I'm a bit more conservative uh, I, I, and I completely agree. I think the, the you know the evidence probably shows that after a few hours you you you're good to do whatever you like. But I think we're still historically in the mindset of mm-hmm. you know telling people for the rest of the day don't go to the gym and for the rest of the day try not to you know fiddle with your face and so on. So I still tell people twelve hours or, or for the rest of the day you know whatever the time is. Um, mm-hmm. But whether whether that's evidence based, probably not. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I don't I don't know where this thing came from about you know leaning forwards or or don't lie down for four hours. I... I don't know where that came from, but you know, there are still injectors who tell these people these things, and fair enough, that's what it says in the box. So I guess you have to tell these people if you're going to be truly on label.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: A trouble is also to tell them not to have a glass of wine on a Friday night. So I mean, <laughs> that's usually
1: <laughs> impossible for many
2: people when they, yeah. Uh, Actually, I
1: have to say, that, out, so. uh,
0: yeah. my advice isn't don't drink, it's just if you do drink, you you might bruise more. Yeah. It's, it's not so much ah, that it's yeah. going to affect the, the toxin, or I don't know any evidence that yeah. it will, but, you know, those people who – can or do bruise or, or I bruise them their bruise is more likely to be worse mm. after a few red wines I that that that's my logic but again is that evidence-based no that's just me making it on, up.
2: on the other hand there may be more accepting of the bruise after a couple of classes so <laughs> <laughs> <You> never know
1: <laughs> what about um women breastfeeding what's your advice on that and trying for oh, I, don't, I
2: don't I don't treat I don't treat pregnant of <coughs> women with uh, with neuromodulators or fillers for that part so i think here's strictly a to label despite you know reasonably what could it do but no that's a no
1: yeah
0: yeah it's interesting i, I i'm i'm exactly the no. same i i just won't because i don't think we've got enough data but if you actually i was doing some research before and i i don't know if it was an official illusions um you know sort of the, yeah. the 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 labeling but it sort of said um from the limited data we have we don't know of any issues but we still say don't do it yeah so it was, i
2: don't it, think any company would put that on the label i know that I yeah the, I, more- yeah don't don't <laughs> quote me on that but it was certainly
0: literature about allusions <laughs> not not disport. so yeah interesting yeah and and i've met a few uh uh, relatively well-known injectors who say, well, you know, I don't think there's an issue. And I, I just think it's very brave. You know, pregnancy is difficult at the best of times, growing a human yeah. and, you know, making sure everything's okay and all the tests that you have to have. And then, Oh,
1: you're growing a human inside you. Let's put the most yeah, <laughs> the most dangerous toxin in the world inside you and hopefully yeah. nothing I goes mean, look, wrong.
0: Look, I, I, I try to sort of make it as less awkward as possible. But I, I say to people, you know, I'm sure that you're managing your diet in a slightly different way now. You're avoiding sort of you know certain fish and you're not eating raw things and certain alcohol. cheeses, yeah, and alcohol. So how can I, in my right mind, then inject you with a yeah. medicine that is not necessary? It's, it's just it just doesn't I, seem logical. I
2: totally I totally agree, I totally agree. I mean, I mean, we do know that the effect is localized. There's no data showing that, you know, a significant amount of the molecule spread throughout the body. And given ten million plus treatments a year, I um, mean inadvertently, there is a couple of women not yet knowing about the pregnancy who have received treatment. and so far in thirty years, we've not seen any issues. So, but still with that in mind as you say people change their diet they change their lifestyle they avoid certain uh, exposure to certain substances why would you then something do something that's really not necessary i you know i'm totally with you there i don't think there's any uh, reason to treat uh, during pregnancy and lactation oh, fantastic
1: although i have had a patient just recently called up one of my clinics and asked whether we would do their treatment during pregnancy. I and mean, when we said no, they said, "Oh, that's weird. I've had a couple other clinics that said that they would." And we said, "Well, who were they? Oh, I can't remember." <laughs> <Yeah. So> I <like, laughs> wanted to know. I was very interested to know who these clinics are that uh, would have said yes. Yeah, I have to say I have
0: been in, in that situation where, you know, understandably, women value what 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 they're product does for them and like you said before it makes them feel good it's not just getting rid of wrinkles mm. it's that Paper. satisfaction and and so on so i do understand when when you're told you can't have it for maybe 18 months if you're breastfeeding etc it's it's kind of annoying but you know if you are a, a patient listening please don't ask your injector it's just it's awkward. just awkward and yeah it's it's unnecessary to
2: try and pressure yeah, someone to it do is. something it, it's something to look forward to really it's something yeah to look forward to <laughs> absolutely
0: <Yeah. laughs> now i know obviously you can't speak for Galderma, but i'm just curious what What are your own personal views on on the launch of illusions do you think it's successful do you think it's going to grow do you think people are going to love it or, or where do you see it sort of you know uh, in, in the market i guess
2: in, in the countries where i've been involved in the launch the, feed, the immediate feedback has been very positive um and then i think uh we with we with, uh, with, like with new products i think it takes a while people try it out and then they they make their own experience they make up their mind uh they they you know put in balance what they've heard in the in the launch meeting and and how that fits into what is in clinic and then it will find its place personally um it' I don't think that one formula will replace anything else on the market, but it's, it's, it's a welcome addition with its distinct properties and it will find its place in our portfolio of treatments. So, and I think for that, it has been well received by patients in my clinic. And um, so that's what I can say so far, but we've only had it for like half a year. Yeah, and more than half a year.
0: I, I gather that it's only been launched in Europe for now. I don't know when we're going to get it in Australia. I've no idea. Never. <laughs> yeah, these things <laughs> seem <laughs> to take if many you get many it, years. If you get it. Yeah, if we get it. Exactly. <laughs> if we <you> get it. <laughs> I mean, do do you think that injectors need to retrain or is it a very such a simple thing to no. do?
2: No, it was, was really, the switch was so easy because uh, if, you, if you used to work with Azelo, you would to just do the same with, with the Lucians. Mm-hmm. And if you if you work with, with the, one of the competitive products, then of course you have to learn the different dosing regimens. Uh, there, the optional so range, may be an extra tool to facilitate that. But we have different um, neuromodulators in our clinic from different manufacturers. So we've just had you know the business as usual. which just switched from having to pre-dilute, you know, prepare the product to having it ready to use, which I think is is uh, really something I appreciated more once I had it in my hands yeah. than I thought before. You know, uh, it really makes, it's a, it was a wow effect, you know, yeah. just, you know, oh, that's it.
0: Yeah. So, who who's injecting in your clinic? And I know you've moved, so maybe it's different now. But did you have other toxins because of you know their preference, or do you tend to use slightly different ones depending on your patient request? Like, ha-
2: so the clinic the clinic uh, has uh, the, the onabotulinum toxin and the apopotulinum toxin, which are the two main brands on the market. Um, it is very rare that patients come with a distinct. Uh, product preference um in, in my experience they do not come and say uh doctor i want they always call it botox because it's a household <laughs> name uh but uh, but i in my experience patients trust us to the point that they let us suggest a product we feel fits their needs yeah. uh based on the on the on the preceding consultation so i don't have it because i have people coming and i only want brand a i only want brand b mm. i just want to have you know have the options you have always have the the odd case where a person doesn't respond for some whatever reason uh and then i would switch them to the other product but that's like a very rare event also
0: mm. that's a good what's question your
2: experience with that uh
0: well it doesn't it doesn't seem to make sense from the science that onobotulinum toxin would be different to abobotulinum toxin. But, you know, we hear both sides of the story. Uh, we, we hear patients swearing blind that one is better, one is worse, one doesn't work, one does. And I don't know. I really don't know. We, we're actually going to do an episode on on resistance just to look into that in a bit more detail. But I mean, yeah, I guess it's nice to have choice.
2: Yeah, so they didn't find they didn't find any neutralizing antibodies after five treatment cycles with the so that does not seem to be a problem but again as with all drugs hypertension painkillers you know you always have those uh, at the end of the curve who do not respond and it's it's very rare with with neuromodulators but the- fantastic
0: well that's been fascinating it'd be interesting to see you know how, how this product uh, develops over time and when we yeah, eventually it, yeah. see it here in Australia, how it's received. But um, like you said, it's nice to have new choices, new slight nuances, um, you know, the longer duration may be a huge benefit for some patients who, who maybe can't access it or they're away or
1: they're traveling. Who knows, you know, how these new things will interplay. Yeah. Well, it's it's an industry that's growing quickly. We've got more products coming out than we can keep up with and we've got um, plenty more discussions to have like this to cover them all so thank you so much for your time and thank you for bearing with us with some of the technical challenges that we had at the beginning of the chat so thank you and hey best of thank luck thank you in, so much in, for in, having
2: and, me and thank
1: and best of luck in portugal are you, are you still going to be able to inject there i mean assuming your license, your medical as license. soon as
2: as soon as my portuguese exceeds the level of ordering food so then i will i will be able fair enough well thank you so Christoph. For, now it's, for now it's a transition period thank you so much and looking forward to seeing you at youtube through Stockholm
0: fantastic thank you thank you so much our latest news upcoming guests and episode topics follow us on instagram at inside aesthetics podcast using the link in our instagram profile you can easily email us text us apply to be a guest on the show follow our personal accounts on instagram and even show your love and support us on patreon